Welcome back to the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dan Viennes, and this is our uh, bi-week edition of the show. It's a good chance for us to just talk about whatever we want to talk about and kind of recap how we've gotten to this point, what lies ahead, where this team is at after their loss to Tampa Bay in Germany. And to do that, I have brought back, well, first time bringing him into this show, um, good friend, longtime Seahawks journalist, former Seattle Times beat writer, published author on the Seahawks and operates a, a tremendous website, uh, Chalk Talk. One of the, first of all, let's introduce Chris Clough. Chris, welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. Thanks, Dan. Good to see you again. I just, uh, I was going to comment. Uh, I, I think your website is one of the most brilliantly named websites that I've seen. I love wordplay. I'm a sucker for wordplay. And it's Chalk Talk, which has a obviously a football meaning. But if you break it down, it's the letter C and then Hawk Talk. So you can, it, it's Seahawk, it's Chalk. Uh, a moment of inspiration for you years ago, I'm sure. And one that I continue to enjoy every time I go to your site. <laughs> I appreciate that. It can go either way. You can go with Seahawk or Chalk, however you want to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, let's do this. You know, it's not, it's not, we're going to call it the halfway point, right? Even though it's 10 games. And, and really, we've lost the halfway moniker anyway with an odd number of games, the 17 games. By the way, right off the top, we get sirens right off the top. Sometimes I make it through a whole show without sirens. Uh, we're getting them right off the bat. Maybe that's a, an indicator of just how good this show is going to be. Ten games in, the Seahawks are six and four. Last time you and I talked was during the offseason. Neither of us had any, any inkling that they would be able to win six games for the season, let alone by the break. Let's start here. Just your general takeaways on what you've seen from this team so far. Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, I actually, when I went through the schedule before the season, I pick, I went through and I had them at eight and nine for the season. Mm. So I was probably a lot more optimistic than, than most people were. But still, I mean, they're six and four and their next three opponents are combined eight and 20 right now. So, yeah. I mean, they're sitting pretty good to win nine or 10 games for sure. Uh, I think right now the proje projection on 538 is nine wins, but they can easily exceed that if they get back to their, you know, the way they've been playing before the Tampa Bay game. So, I mean, just just where they sit right now at the bye, yeah. uh, six and four is is more than anybody would have predicted. Geno Smith playing uh, uh, just extraordinary football for the most part. I mean, we still have, we have stuff to see whether he can be clutch. You know, he, he obviously had that turnover against Tampa, uh, you know, he's got he's got to, you know, avoid those kind of things in close games when he's trying to rally, you know, the Hawks. And uh, he's, he's he's done well in the second half as yeah. a whole, you know, bringing him along and, and uh, scoring points and stuff. And they've done well in the first half, too. They're they were one of the top four uh, first half scoring teams before Tampa, I think. So so uh, really, you know, uh, and that that to me, that that goes to Metcalf and Lockett, like those mm. guys playing through injuries you know, really gaming it every every game and just being real big leaders and and kind of lifting up uh, Gino and the whole offense. So I, I feel like you know they've they've been real a real big part of Gino's success uh, so far. But 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 obviously the, that's the big surprise of, of of the season to this point. Yeah, you make a good point. That's the one thing we haven't seen Gino do yet is 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 put together that game winning drive to bring him back, and he didn't get the opportunity. Uh, in in Germany uh, because the Seahawks just couldn't make a stop with four minutes left and and get the ball back. Or he might have had that chance because, man, he was playing well, uh, especially in the second half after after they made some adjustments. Um, 
we have seen him close games out and uh, especially, you know, the last couple of weeks. Um, but, but he hasn't put that signature drive together yet. Um, did you, when, when you were looking at the season and, and projecting eight wins, and I think I was a little more optimistic than most too. I think I thought six or seven was possible, but I, the way we got here, I thought was going to be different. I thought the defense was going to be right out of the gate was going to be better than it was um, those first four weeks. And that Gino would be good enough to manage the offense in a way that, you know, Pete was going to figure out a way to beat teams that weren't, that weren't that good. Uh, and there were enough of those on the schedule. I thought there were some opportunities. Um, but the way Gino has played, I mean, none of us saw this coming, right? Even the most optimistic people, the ones who were, and I, I've called myself out on, on it, on this show a number of times. I wanted it to be Drew Locke. I, I recognize now hindsight being 2020, I just thought he'd be a more fun player. And what we saw from Gino didn't inspire any kind of confidence from any of us. Um, did you even think that there was a possibility that 10 games into the season, we'd be talking about this guy being an extension candidate and one of the better breakout players in the league? No, you know, I, I was, I was with you. I, I felt like Drew Locke um, had more upside, you know, than, uh, than Gino. And, and it really came down to, uh, I felt like they would be, sh you know, shuffling back and forth between the quarterbacks probably during the season that at some point Drew yeah. Locke would have replaced Gino because they got off to a poor start. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt like that's how it was going to go. I, f I did feel like uh, the defense would get it together. They got off to that horrible start like they have the last three or four years. I mean, it's a constant thing going on now. But they, they to their credit, you know, they fixed it. You know, Clint Hurt, yeah. you know, came around and he said, hey, look, guys, I'll let you do what you're good at so that we can, you know, see if, we, if that fixes it. Because at that point, what, they didn't have anything to lose. It's like, hey, you know, allow the guys to, to show their ability. So, you know, they've, they've done well. I, I'm, I'm going to throw out the Tampa game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of just, you know, going that far – changing time zones, you know, four or five times. Uh, I'm just tossing that one out. We'll see what happens when they come back from their bye. Um, but I feel like their defense is, has really flipped it and is doing well. And, uh, and, and you know, it's a credit to, credit to all of them for that. So, uh, and turnovers. Turnovers, I always thought turnovers are going to be a huge part of the season. And they have been. Yeah. Like, they are uh, their top top two or three in, in turnovers, forcing turnovers, I think. So, uh, that's uh, that's where you want to be, and that's how you uh, you know that's how you win games a lot. And uh, I mean the the rookies, you know, Tariq Woolen and mm, Kobe Bryant. Man. I mean Woolen has five picks already. That's uh, second in the NFL, and uh, and Bryant had, it leads the NFL with four forced fumbles, and he had two picks himself that were overturned by penalties yeah. on on his teammates. So I mean that you know that's a big key right there is getting those turnovers. Yeah, it's uh, I'm with you. I actually take even though it was a loss and you'd love for this team to be seven and three right now. I take I take more good away from that Tampa Bay game than bad. Really, you get off to the sluggish start. There's lots of things to explain that. Uh, whether those are reasons or excuses is up for debate. I think Tampa's a better team than their record indicated. And, and and I think perception got skewed by the fan base because they lost those three games and the offense was struggling. And 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 maybe some of this is wishful thinking, but I think a lot of people went into that game thinking this isn't the same Tom Brady we're used to seeing. Maybe he's washed up. We've The best of them is in the rearview mirror. But they they played to their ability in that game. That's a good defense, and they got all their guys back yeah. for that game. Winfield and Hicks made a huge difference. Um, and so the fact that they recovered from that slow start, I think, said a lot. 
and the fact that they were able to get some things done offensively against that defense consistently in the second half. And, and that's been the remarkable thing to me about this offense is they've had some fits and starts. They've had some poor starts or some struggles in the second half, but consistently their ability and, and specifically Shane Waldron's ability to make adjustments fairly quickly within games and their consistency on offense is what makes me think this team has a chance to make the playoffs. And I think you pointed out in your latest article that they're, uh, they have a 77% chance to make the playoffs at this point. Um, yeah. 538 is projecting 77. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like up until the last couple of weeks, I made this point on my show last week, Shane Waldron wasn't getting maybe enough credit. I think now he is. And, and you're starting to hear whispers of, of whether or not he's a head coaching candidate and whether we may be, uh, in a position where we need to appreciate him while we have him. You and I talked right after the hire was made about the impact that that might have. And of course, at the time, Russell Wilson was the quarterback. But your impressions of Shane Waldron, how he's operated this offense so far. Yeah, actually, uh, I kind of gave him some kudos in one of my posts a couple of weeks ago because I felt like uh, he's really been, uh, you know, we've seen the innovation that uh, that comes from the the Ram style, you know, Sean McVay's offense, and we've seen we've seen them running different plays out of the same sets. We've seen them uh, just being uh, creative in the way they use their tight ends. You know, I, you know, he, he got he got killed for the 49ers game where he pulled out the four running back thing, you know, and DJ Dallas throws the pick on the goal line, yeah. you know. But to his credit, he's coming up with some very intriguing, you know, concepts. And uh, and most a lot of them are working, you know, and that they're they're um, uh, the, the way if you look at most of their touchdown drives, their tight ends are involved. Yeah, their tight ends are involved in, in early in the season. Their tight ends had more touchdowns than Lockett and Metcalf combined. So there was like five to four or something at one point, you know, so, um, the, you know, the tight ends are very key uh, when when they're doing their best. It's when they're involving their tight ends. And uh, so I feel like Shane has done a good job of that. And uh, he's, he's really come up with some good concepts. They don't always work. Yeah. Sometimes his players not, you know, executing properly. And sometimes it just ran up against a good defensive uh, formation, you know, that, that burned them on, on that particular play. But uh, I, I feel like he has really helped them and been a real uh, big part of Geno's success so far. It's a breath of fresh air. I mean, as, as Seahawks fans, the last seven, eight, nine years, regardless of who the offensive coordinator was, it's kind of become a sort of a side gig to, to, to rip the offensive coordinator and the play calling, but it's been easy to do at times because the thing I appreciate the most about Shane Waldron, not just his ability to make adjustments within games. And and you make a great point about the tight ends. I thought that's what turned it around in the second half as they went, they got away from that for whatever reason, the first half against Tampa, it looked like they thought they could get the ball downfield. And then at halftime they decided, okay, let's go back to our bread and butter. Disley got involved on that first touchdown drive a couple of times and it really changed changed the game. But it's I don't ever catch myself thinking that they're banging their head against the wall trying to get something done and and refusing to go away from it as it has been in the past. I I just think uh I think he's he, he's been better this year at running that Rams offense than the Rams have been. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Rams are struggling, man. They are, and then the Seahawks play them after the Raiders, so that's, uh, you know, uh, that's looking like a winnable game. Um, you know, just you know, Cooper Cup is out now, so yeah. um, they won't have to face him in that game. So yeah, I and mean, the Rams inexplicably have taken a tumble, and the Seahawks unexpectedly, you know, have taken their place basically. 
Yeah, let's talk about that. The the landscape of the NFC West. The Seahawks haven't played the Rams yet. Um, they have both of their games remaining. First down there in a couple of weeks. And then, uh, and then they finish the season at home in week 17. Or I guess it would be week 18. Uh, no P- Cooper Cup for them at the moment. And they've been struggling anyway. Cam Akers has, has been a non-factor. Um, even their defense at times has struggled, despite the big names over there. Um, the 49ers look to be rejuvenated uh, after the trade acquiring Christian McCaffrey. They're starting to get Brandon Ayuk involved on a more consistent basis. And and that defense, once it's healthy, um, you know, nobody doubts that they'll be effective again. It's, it seems like it, it's become a two horse race in the NFC West. Now the Seahawks still a game ahead of the Niners in the win column, but of course the loss down there to him, that game on December 15th, obviously looms large, but it would seem like this is, <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about the Seahawks as a playoff team, <laughs> but it almost at this point, would it be a disappointment if they don't make the playoffs? Are the number three seed in the NFC West or in the NFC overall right now, if the playoffs started today, they're number seven overall in DVOA. The only team left on their schedule that's that's ranked higher than them in DVOA is Kansas City. Would it be a disappointment if they don't make the playoffs at this point? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, they, they've, you know, they've raised the bar you know, for expectations for everybody, you know, I, I hear from fans just randomly on Twitter or uh, a guy who commented on my recent post was like, you know, now I'm, I, you know, before I was just, I, you know, I didn't expect anything and now my expectations are there. So I'm like nervous every game, you know, right. kind of the attitude that a lot of fans <laughs> have now because they, they expect something out of it. And when they play a good team like Tampa, they expect to beat them. And uh, they get, you know, real uptight about it when it doesn't happen, you know, so. Yeah, uh, you make a good point. The first half against Tampa was the first time I've caught myself all season being pissed. Like they were blowing an opportunity. Like I was, I've had that mindset all year that like whatever happens, happens. Any success is gravy. But yeah, I, I caught myself feeling differently in that first half when things weren't going well. Yeah, I, I think it's, um. I think they're basically kind of ahead, you know, of what everyone thought they would be. Because everyone thought this is kind of like 2011, you know, where they yeah. they were they were building up a good defense, and, but they still needed to find a quarterback. Well, I mean, if Gino Gino has sustained it so far, so we have to say he is what he's shown us, you know, yeah. leading the NFL in completion percentage and really the the number two quarterback behind Brady in the NFC. Uh, he's going to the Pro Bowl, you yeah. know. I mean, that's pretty apparent. So, uh, and and the Seahawks, uh, you know, reportedly do want to extend him after the season. And I think they're smart to wait to do that. I know a lot of people have been saying, oh, we need to extend Gino right now. Like, do it now. Yeah. Like, no, just let the season play out. Let it all play out. You know, I mean, let him see what his market is, uh, you know, next year during the, you know, the, the pre-free agency phase. And uh, there is a franchise tag that they still could apply to him if they wanted to. And they have cap space to be able to do that because right. they really don't have to pay anybody else. You know, everybody's already paid who needs to be paid on this team. Uh, you could say some people are paid who shouldn't have been paid. Jamal Adams. Right. Uh, but, you know, there's 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 a lot of uh, there's still there's there's plenty of, uh, of room to do things with Gino after the season. So there's no no there's no rush on that. Just let it play out. Let him play out and um, let him build his case and then see where it lands at the end. So, uh, you know, th- I think, you know, they're they're in a good spot there. Yeah. Sometimes I, uh, the last couple of weeks I've caught myself thinking, okay, we need to stop talking about Gino, right? It's, it's, first of all, it's a given. It's not, it's not a small sample size anymore. He is what he is, but I don't think you can talk about him enough. And so let's, let's talk about 2023 for a second, because 
going into the season, regardless of how optimistic some of you might have been about uh, how many teams this or games this team might win, I think across the board, we all felt like this was a bridge season and next year they're going to use that draft capital to go get a guy, right? There was all this talk about the quarterback class in 2023. I was involved in that. It looked like one of the better ones we've seen in a long time. But as things do happen, some of those guys haven't performed. And and suddenly this first round quarterback class doesn't look as deep as we thought it was going into the season. You combine that with the Seahawks native pick is is lower and lower in the draft as they continue to win. You know, Denver's is is higher than we expected it to be right now, but you don't know what's going to happen with that. And we have a quarterback. So this report that the Seahawks are interested in signing Geno long term, it completely changes the focus, doesn't it? Going into the offseason of what this team might do to this roster in the draft and free agency. Like quarterback might be an afterthought now until day two or maybe even day three, right? Yeah, I, I feel like uh, what it's what it does is it just allows them to be super flexible. And uh, you know, when John Schneider has drafted high, he's he's done well. Yeah. Just look at this year's draft. Six rookies, like his top six rookies are key contributors on this team, starters or key players like Kobe Bryant, you know. So um <clears throat> he, he when he gets to draft high, like he did in two thousand ten, you know. Uh, 2011, 2012, those three years, that was like an epic, you know, uh, you know, what once in a 20 year span of drafting right there. And, um, he could do it again. He could totally do it again with two first round picks, two second round picks. I mean, they are set to be real flexible. You know, they do have some needs, you know, long-term they need a center. Yeah. Uh, they need help uh, inside linebacker for sure. Uh, you can always use a pass rusher. You know, they definitely bringing back Bruce Irvin kind of showed us, you know, that they do have a weakness there and that, um, you know, it'll, that's probably position linebacker overall, I think, is a spot that they'll look look at uh, yeah. next year in the draft uh, fairly high. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, offensively, they have all their skilled players. They have their tackles. Those two young guys are playing great. Um, you know, Abe Lucas is one of the top, you know, right tackles, probably top five right tackle in the NFL, maybe top three. I mean, he's playing great, yeah. you know, um, so. I think there's a lot of flexibility there for next year and they don't have to be, uh, you know, kind of feel forced into any one direction. Yeah. What is this season? What we've seen so far say about Pete Carroll and how does it affect his legacy as it stands uh, in Seattle? Well, you know, there was Pete versus Russ, right? That's mm-hmm. what it was. It was two different, uh, you know, schools of fans. And um, I think we have seen, it's really, it's not a surprise to me. And you and I talked about it and you and I pretty much agree on kind of Russell was a, uh, a double-edged sword where he had limitations and Pete had Pete and look at his offensive coordinators. He had to fire offensive coordinators because his quarterback could not adhere to, you know, implement what those coordinators wanted to do. So no middle over the middle throws. I mean, very few. Mm-hmm. And, and the, most of them were either deep or super short. There was no like intermediate in the middle. If you look at all the next the the next gen uh, stats on uh, for quarterback passing, that's what you see. So um, Russell had his weaknesses. Pete knew that. He knew what what Russ was good at, and he knew you know when you talked about running the ball, it was just about being balanced, which is it's a logical thing to do in football, right? It's not, you know, everyone wanted Russ to be able to throw the ball. Well, 
he got off to a great start in 2020 when he did that, but then everybody caught up to him and no, they did not adjust. Yeah. And so then the offense won the tank in 2020 after that awesome five and zero start with the offense. Like, and you know, I mean, how many times was Russell Wilson the September MVP? Right. right? The September yeah. October MVP. Mister September. And then fade at the end, you know, because because he is a pretty one dimensional player, you know. And uh, Denver, I mean, it's been he's in a new system. I, you know, we've seen this thing this week where he apparently is, is he's still using Seahawk audibles. Yeah. Uh, and, and his, his Broncos players are like, what are you saying out there? When you, when you say that stuff, we don't even know what that play is. Uh, now I don't know how, how you know, prevalent that is, or maybe it's just, he's done, done it a few times just accidentally using the wrong, you know, keywords or whatever, the wrong audible words, but you know, Still, he's got you know a decade of Seahawks in him, right? Yeah. So to get to in a new system, it's an adjustment period. So we're seeing kind of where he struggles, and when he's not on the same page, and when the coaching is not very good, I don't know if Hackett's even going to last very long there in Denver, you know. But you know, we kind of see, you know, how Pete had a positive impact on Russ. And so back to your question of what you know, Pete. I mean. Pete always fixes his defense. He yeah, always finds yeah. a way to fix the defense every year. And it always it always evens out. It always becomes one of the better ones in the second half. And I think now they have a foundation for that defense that they have not had since Legion of Boom disappeared, you know, and faded away. That, that, that Legion of Boom faded away after the 2017 season, during and after it. And in 2018, 19, 20, they were just trying to fill in the blanks. You know, John Schneider was just like, finding guys, you know, Jadavian Clowney, you know, Carlos Dunlap, just trying to like plug holes and stuff. And now, you know, they do, yeah, they got to find some more pass rushers, I think, and some linebackers in general, but otherwise, I mean, their secondary is set. Yeah. They're set. They've got great young players back there. And I thought, I thought their secondary would come along and it has, it's kind of done what I thought it would do. Um, the, the, the horrible start was not really expected, but you know, right. it took a while, but it's, it's coming. But anyway, I, I feel like uh, Pete, has validated himself as the kind of coach that we all know he is. And then he finally gets a quarterback who, you know, back in 2011 and 12, we were looking at like, hey, we need a quarterback to go with this great defense and Marshawn Lynch. We just need the quarterback. It could have been any quarterback, any good quarterback. It didn't need to be Russell Wilson. But, you know, it just turned out that Russ was a very dynamic player who, you know, went on to many Pro Bowls and had, you know, a lot of success, but never could quite get back to the Super Bowl once the Legion of Boom was gone. You know, and uh, so now we have a new young era defense and we have a quarterback who can make all the throws, maybe not all the great deep balls that Russ can throw because he's a he's an elite deep ball thrower. Gino's not. But Gino can you know make a lot of those intermediate throws that, that Russ couldn't. And that's what we're seeing, I think, this year that has helped their offense um, be more consistent. And that's what you want. You want a more consistent offense. Uh, they've kind of struggled the last three games, I think, in uh, first half. You know, their scoring is like under a touchdown or around a touchdown average for the last three games. So they really need to kind yeah. of fix that. Um, but, uh, but otherwise, you know, I think Pete, Pete has proved himself again, you know, I mean, he has, it's, it's clear. So you have a chance to be a hall of fame coach. You know, if they had won that super bowl in 2014. Hmm. Yeah. What, sure. if, what if they get back to another one? I mean, it's yeah. yeah. It's, there it's aren't too many coaches who've won two super bowls. Yeah. So, yeah. It's remarkable. It, it really is. I mean, there's there's people who think Mike Holmgren uh, belongs in the Hall of Fame, and he won the one early Super Bowl, and and then his coaching career didn't end well. But the the fact that you know we all the talk two years ago was what's going to happen after Brady and Belichick are no longer in bed together, right? And what have we seen there? Brady went on one another Super Bowl, has continued to play at a high level. 
Belichick, despite the fact they spent a first round pick on a quarterback, hasn't done well. And so it's mm-hmm. the the narrative now and the perception of Bill Belichick has changed. It's it's remarkable to me, not just we knew that that Pete handled Russell well while he was here. I don't think we we knew the entirety of that until now. You see what's happening in Denver. And it's not just that you need to protect Russ on the playing field and and try to keep him in his lane as far as what he can do well and keep him away from things he doesn't do that well. But just Russ as a, as a person and a guy in the locker room, it seems like that's where some of the fractures happening in Denver right now. And when you look back now over the, and obviously it wasn't always perfect, right? There was the Seth Wickersham story that pointed out some of the, the things that had happened with the, the interpersonal dynamics between Russ and some of the Legion of Boom guys and how they felt that Pete was coddling him a little too much. Well, now we can see that he had to, and he did a really good job at it. Obviously, when you see the, the flip side and what's happening in Denver now, did you ever think it would go as poorly for Russ as it's, as it's going right now? I was super curious to see how it would go. I didn't have any preconceived ideas. I, I know exactly the kind of player Wilson is because I've watched him for 10 years, like yeah. you have, like we all have. So like I like I said, my take on him is he's a double-edged player, super dynamic, great deep baller, and early in his career especially, like great at just es- escaping, you know, just like magical plays. And even yeah. even toward the end of his time here, he would make pull out on a magical play every once in a while. But th- those times are becoming fewer and farther between. And just, you know, so I, I knew going to Denver – that their coach had better be ready for that. Like that's what Russ does. Like Russ does not usually get the ball out really fast. He holds it really long to trying to make a big play. Third and short, he likes to go deep, always. You know, and he doesn't use the middle of the field uh, during the during a regular part of a drive. You know, so um, we all you know we kind of know those things. Those of us who yeah. watched him. So it, it was cur- I was curious to see how this would all translate to Denver, which has struggled on offense and with has a new coach. And it really, I mean, they're bottom of the barrel in scoring in the NFL and with, with a great defense, you know, they're like the 1992 Seahawks almost, you know, kind of, <laughs> you know, great defense, but with nothing going on offense, you know, and, and maybe it's still going to take some time, but I mean, it sounds like, yeah, what your, your reference to what's going on in the locker room there and that Russell basically, I mean, here's, here's one thing about Russ that really kind of rubbed a lot of people wrong or, uh, over the last few years in Seattle is that he, he just, his ego just, you know, took over. You know, yeah. all this talk of a legacy and all this stuff. And it, it really seemed like it was more about him, you know, than than the team a lot of the times. And certainly when he came out and, you know, Lamb basted his offensive line, you know, a couple off seasons ago, yeah. you know, that that was kind of the that was the one that, that showed that it was it was is done. I mean, it was it was over, you know, because, you know, everyone likes to say, oh, oh, yeah, Russ. I, I laugh at this part where everyone says, oh, Russ leaves and you draft an offensive line. Right. You have a left tackle now. Well, they had Dwayne Brown for like four years with Russ. So they had, you know, like, don't tell me they didn't have an offensive line. You know, it's, it's, and, 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 you know, you can point to it. And Russ was, I did a study on it. Russ was responsible for like a third of the sacks he took uh, in what, 2020 or whatever. Yeah. So when that year where they just faded away. Um, and I think for his career, that's probably true. Just like it probably holds out that he's basically responsible for a third of the sacks that happened to him. So you can't blame your offensive line for everything when you're the one, 
you know, creating a lot of the issues. So Yeah, and there was a period of time there, a four or five year period of time where the Seahawks had spent more draft capital on the offensive line than any team in football over that span. That's and, right. and but yeah. you made the point early in this in this episode that they just never were drafting high during that period. It's a whole you don't get a chance to get a Charles Cross or you don't get a chance to get an Abe Lucas at the top of the third round. It's a whole different ball game when you're at the bottom of the rounds. And so mm-hmm. um, I'm glad you point that out. I, my analogy on Russ is, is and uh, to use Belichick again, he's always said, and early in his career, there were more pronounced examples of this. Um, better to get rid of an older player too soon than too late. And I think this this fits Bobby Wagner too. You could see the decline coming. I just didn't know we were this close to it. I mean, he reminds me... Of, of a, of a power hitter who, you know, when you lose just that little bit of bat speed, suddenly if that's, if that's all you have, and, and if that's, it's, if that makes up the great part of your value, then you don't have anything else to fall back on. And, and Russ not being as athletic as he used to be and not being as quick. And there were some stories early in the season with some, some unnamed sources saying, you know, people in the Seahawks front office saw that happening. And that was a huge part of the reason they felt like now is the time to trade him. I just didn't think it would happen this quickly. I watch those Bronco games now. First couple of weeks in the season, I thought, okay, at some point it's going to click. I just think what we're seeing is is what he is now. And and my goodness, it, it, it just points out how how good the timing was for Seattle and how well they've oh. done in that trade overall. And really the oh. only thing that hasn't brought them value in that trade yet is Drew Locke because the players, the picks, they've all been put to perfect use really. Oh yeah, I mean percentage wise, it's it was it's a, it's a knockout. I mean, I liked it when it was made because you, you yeah, got we eight, both did yeah eight, you got eight guys right yeah we talked about that you basically picks and players you got eight guys right it's a second to the Herschel Walker trade ever yeah. you know in modern NFL history and so it you know you you really you know with two first rounders two second rounders and who yeah who knew that there was gonna be flipped. That the Seahawks would be the one on the you know that <laughs> yeah. deep you know in the first round and then the Broncos would be the top. So it was, I think it's like the Broncos right now are seventh and the Seahawks are twenty third, something like that. So um, totally the opposite of what we thought it would be, but still you know uh, just you know just what 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 Schneider pulled off there, getting that done, uh, and it was time for it to happen. It was probably it was past time really to, for it to happen. Um, so just great. I mean, it sets him up for, you know, Pete for uh, one swan song, you know, he's still got the energy. He's still going to go for it. I mean, he knows they're set up for it. He knows. And the fact that Gino has, I'm sure Gino has outplayed their expectations too. I mean, Pete will not say it that way, but I'm sure he has. Right. What, what do you make of the, uh, kind of the subscript of that report that came out this week that they'd also like to bring Drew Locke back? Uh, you know, I mean, um, I, I feel like it sounds like, you know, John really wanted Locke in that trade. Uh, you know, I, I'd seen something previously that he, that, 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 that was important to him to have him. Yeah. That that's so why they, the Denver they, offer stood out over some others is he really liked that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, that, and the fact that, I mean, Russ wanted to go there and, and right. the only way I was going to send him there is if, if part of the deal was to send Locke back to us, you yeah. know, back to Seattle. So, um, you know, and I, sure. I mean, if they feel like. He was a second round pick. He certainly has arm talent. I mean, he, he just needs to get his head, you know, together. And I mean, look at Gino. I, that's he, what yeah. I was going to say. He, 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 I think there's a parallel there. He reminds there me is. of I mean, young Gino. The talent's Gino, there. He just, he just yeah. turns the ball over too many times. It, Gino is a great example in the NFL of a guy who goes to a bad franchise, a quarterback who goes to a bad franchise and gets ruined off the bat. Mm hmm. 
by that franchise, not protecting him, not setting him up for success. And, you know, sometimes, you know, immature guys that takes them a minute to, to mature and get up to speed. You know, some guys never get there and some guys are destroyed. Like, you know, the Tim couches of the world or, you know, just go there and they just get sacked. David cars of the world. They yeah. get sacked to pieces. They have no confidence left and they will, they cannot be a good quarterback. They just cannot. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, this, this happens over and over. We see it with bad franchises all the time. And I think Gino was a little bit the victim of not just himself, but of the Jets franchise. And so that just made him a bit of a journeyman for a little bit, but he's been with the Hawks now for four years. Yeah. And Pete, knew he wanted to keep him and Pete's probably saw Pete and John probably saw this day coming and probably, you know, I know Pete talked about it in the off season when Gino was still unsigned. Right. And he's like, really want Gino back, really want Gino back. And you know what? He was right. He was right. Yeah. I don't know that he expected Gino to play to the level he has, but he was right. I mean, it, it's, it's gotten to the point for me where I just, I'm just not going to question Pete Carroll anymore because <laughs> all throughout when that was happening, I thought, oh, let's not bring it. Let's move on from that. You know, we've done the Geno Smith thing. And then early in camp when he said, or the, there were, before we heard anything from Pete, there were reports probably leaked from guys on the NFL network. I think it was Garofalo that I remember saying early on that like, Hey, don't count out Geno Smith. They really like him and he could be the guy. And I dismissed it at the time, but yeah, to your point, I don't think, they even expected to see this, but I, I'm telling you, we haven't seen this kind of a story and maybe it's time for you to write another book because when those guys do get ruined, those high draft picks, they don't recover. We don't ever see this resurgence out of those guys. We don't yeah. see, you know, those high draft picks bounce around, become backups, get another shot in their early thirties and make the most of it. We just, we just don't. I mean, there's some older examples, Rich Cannon, Steve Berline comes to mind, but this is, this is, this is remarkable. Yeah. I think this is a season where, you know, people who are into, to, uh, uh, awards, uh, where Pete and John, uh, were probably going to be up for coach and GM of the year. Um, they, they weren't in the early years because they slowly built a winner yeah. and, you know, once you're a winner, you're expected to win. So you'll never get the, the that, those accolades other than it, you, through the wins you get. Yeah. Right. So, but, but with John, uh, having six draft picks, you know, key players, uh, stellar players and, uh, you know, Pete just basically coaching the Seahawks beyond what anybody thought he was going to be able to do. And then, you know, Gino, I don't know, can Gino, is Gino, does Gino qualify for comeback player of the year? That's a, it's a, it's a debate. Yeah. I, some, yeah, some believe he does. And yeah, that's a nebulous description. There's no real um, defined parameters for what, what right. is the comeback player of the year. So it's usually from injury. After, yeah. You know, eight years of not starting. Or whatever. <laughs> right. That's, that's a comeback. That is the, to me, that's the definition of comeback. It usually goes to a guy who comes back from injury. And so right. I'm sure, you know, some people. True feel like Saquon Barkley might be a guy that's sort of leading that conversation. And then coach of the year is yeah. always, always funny because you know, it's the, a lot of times it goes in the new guy, like Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota is probably going to get some support and what's happening in Philadelphia yeah. might have an impact. But, um, and I do hope of all those guys, I would hope that John Schneider is the one that gets the recognition because I, I think there was a lot of talk this, this off season, you know, I love Mina Kimes, but she, she called him out this off season. Like that, that the reason that this roster got to the point it did that they felt like they had to trade away their franchise quarterback quarterback was a lot of bad drafting. And that was the knock. And, and 
rightly so with some of those drafts when you go back and look at them. But but what they did this offseason um, just is, is, I think it's one of the biggest stories, if not the biggest story in the league is how good this Seahawks team is right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can look at the Eagles. I mean, they've been spectacular. They're they're a great story too, uh, as you just referenced. But uh, yeah, the Seahawks are one of the big surprises. You know, uh, good surprises in the, in the leagues. So. Yeah, and and I would even argue that I think people saw that coming in Philly. You know, and to yeah, they were on me, the rise. The yeah. Were. Um, anyway, well, maybe the the Seahawks and Eagles will settle that argument on the field in the playoffs. As we head forward, uh, Seahawks on a bye this week, and then they come back and play the Raiders at home. And then I think it's to LA the week after that. Yeah, they go to LA after the Raiders. Yep. And then December fifteenth, Carolina's next. Carolina should be um, a game that that looks attractive. Eight wins. Like they're all struggling teams. The teams that the Seahawks could beat. Yep. Again, I I'm a big believer in DVOA and the Kansas City Chiefs, the only team remaining on the schedule that are ranked higher than them overall as the Seahawks sit in seventh. Um, yeah. And uh, and then of course Thursday night football, December fifteenth here in Lumen Field. It's going to be cold. The crowd's going to be nuts. Um, that could be for the NFC West right there. Um, who yeah. to thunk it at the beginning of the season? Yeah. That the Seahawks should be, be cold, but it's going to be hot. Where they are, it is indeed. Uh, Chris Clough, again, thank you for joining me. You can find him on Twitter uh, for now, anyway, at uh, uh, Seahawks C H A W K underscore talk, and then uh, the website is chawktalk.com. Read his stuff. Thanks again for joining me, Chris. It's always good to catch up. And, yeah, thanks uh, for having me, Dan. It was fun. Absolutely. The Seahawks, uh, six and four, going into the bye. Uh, I'll be back next week with Michael Thompson of 12th Man Rising. We're going to talk draft. And specifically, he has focused this year as much as Chris and I just talked about how quarterback might not be as big a need in the draft coming up. He has been a guy that's been looking at that. We're going to talk about tiers. You know, if the Seahawks don't go quarterback on day one, what does it look like on day two or three? And who are the fits? And who's rising and who's falling? So we'll talk quarterbacks. We'll talk draft overall next week. Um, until then, thanks again to Chris Clough. I am Dan Viennes. This is the Field Goals Podcast. Follow us on all the major uh, podcast platforms. Subscribe so you get notification of new episodes. Uh, share and like this episode. And if you like what you hear, give us a review. Until then, go Hawks. Go Hawks.